I happen to be a Christian. I believe that God uses everything for good. So I think I know how to deal with people because I had to make sure my dad liked me and I was able to distract him. And and I learned, I, I would, you know, do the skins game at the country club with all the members. So, you know, here comes a jerk. Well, you got to make him like you, you know, even though you want to kill him and you can't stand the guy, you know, you have to adapt your behavior and your communication with people that you can't stand and you don't like. And, and people do business with people they like. So can you make them like you? And once you understand that people aren't trying to be jerks, they just are the way that they are. Um, it totally helped me, and I don't know why I'm so driven. I am a sick puppy. This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey guys, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. It's Caleb here, and and I had a really fun time interviewing Cindy, but I, I kind of had some mixed emotions because after getting done with the interview, it was super powerful, and I, I had tears in my eyes. And But then I was like, man, we didn't really talk a lot about money. And this is called the Better Wealth Podcast, and I like want to make sure that I value your guys' time and make sure that like I'm I'm it's as valuable as it, it can be. And so this is what I'll say. Cindy has been told over and over and over and over in her life that she's not good enough. You're not good enough to do this. You're not good enough to do that. You're not good enough golfer to be get on this team. You're not good enough to go to the pros. And she's overcome and overcome and overcome becoming a professional golfer. Like she has an incredible overcomer story and um, she's now on a mission that's just way bigger than herself like she's like she is going and existing and you know and she goes into a lot of her philosophy she she like she's living a life to help people understand that they are good enough and encourage them to go for it and uh, her story's just just an amazing uh, example of that and I was thinking while we don't really get into the tactics of you know money though she does talk about why golf you know is really a good sport as it relates to the mental toughness and what she's learned in business and how she's had the opportunity to speak to thousands of people around the country and executive planning so there's valuable stuff in here but here's the big takeaway that I want you to think about as you listen to this is I always say that you are your greatest asset like, I believe the number one investment you can make is in yourself, okay? But I also realize that we are our greatest enemy. We are, I mean, think about that. Like, the reason why so many people are not living the life that they can, the reason why so many people are not impacting the people that they can is because of the voices that they're telling themselves, the conversation that they're having inside their head. And I realize that, like, we, like, one of the most valuable things that we can do is understand understand that number one call it out as an elephant and i just encourage you as you listen to this conversation i had with cindy like just be asking the question what what kind of self-doubt am i sharing like what kind of what, how can i take this and live a better and more inspired life so without further ado here's cindy miller Hey, Cindy, welcome so much to the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. So I want to give a little bit of context. I think it's, what is it, December 2018. Mm -hmm. I'm walking into uh, a room where we're kind of, we're at a, like a, a high-end mastermind to help help uh, craft our stories when we go speak on stage. And you come in and you're just like all smiles. And hearing your story really stuck with me. I, I've heard a lot of people's stories. I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs, motivational speakers, uh, stories and yours really, really stood out because here you are an ordinary person who has like an extra extraordinary life 
And I believe by just sharing your story and like talking about your why, you're going to inspire so many people because you really are around this mindset of like own it in your life. And you've been told that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And you've overcome and you've over overcome. And I'm already getting emotional. And it's like two minutes in. And so thank you so much for being here. Um, my audience is filled with people that believe that they're their greatest asset. And the number one obstacle to that is themselves and their mindset. So why don't you give a little bit of your backstory to, to my audience? I call myself Cindy from Silver Creek. I grew up in a little town about 35 miles south of Buffalo with about 2,000 people. Um, my parents played golf every weekend. They dragged me to the country club. I, the pool was my babysitter. They would play golf all day and sit at the bar and drink all night and go home and fight. Hmm. And about eighth grade, I got fat and all the cute boys in the pool started to call me Tan Tan Tessie. Hmm. So I quickly found an aversion to swimming. And the only other thing I could do was go play golf. And I didn't really like golf because I thought golf was screwing up my parents. So I started to take golf lessons and the pro said that I was pretty good and I, I practiced and my mom and her friends took me to an LPGA tour event when I was 17 mm -hmm. and I immediately fell in love. I saw Laura Ball, who was a year older than me, playing on the LPGA tour and she had this beautiful golf bag with these great clothes and brand new shoes and this golf swing and when she hit the ball, it was like kapow, you know, and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly what I want to do. So I came home with a huge big dream. And I told my dad I was going to play on the LPGA tour. And he said, okay, that's, that's nice. And, and I didn't like high school. I graduated a year early from high school because we had moved away from Silver Creek to a big, well, not the big city, but Buffalo. And I didn't like the school, all my friends, you know, there were, it was just too far away from Silver Creek. So my dad said, well, you've already applied to go to Fredonia State, which is a small liberal arts college and you know near silver creek and he goes you're gonna go there i said well i really need to go somewhere where i can play golf and he said okay figure it out so i said okay and i wrote to the ben hogan golf company and golf digest magazine a letter snail mail because i'm old and they didn't have the internet <laughs> and they actually wrote back to me and they said that there were the only two colleges i remember were odessa junior college in texas and the university of miami that had women's golf teams at the time Okay. And I had no idea that Title IX had just been passed and, you know, I didn't know anything. So I wrote to the University of Miami and they actually wrote back and said, you're not good enough to be on this team. And how did they know? Like, did you just, did they have scores or? Well, yeah, yeah. So when you play golf, you have a handicap. Okay. And your handicap is anywhere from zero to 36. And the higher the handicap, the worse you play, the more over par you shoot. Okay. And the worst person on their team had a five handicap and mine was 14. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So they said, you just don't shoot the numbers that we need you to shoot. So I wrote back and said, well, can I try? And they said, well, yeah, you can come down here and try, but I doubt you'll ever play. So we had a family friend who had a cottage at the lake who was a captain for Eastern Airlines. And they, I went on the plane that he was flying with a suitcase and my golf clubs, and they dropped me off at my dorm. I had never even seen the place. Hmm. I sat on the bed and cried, and then I went and practiced. And I graduated the number one player on that team, and we won back-to-back -back national championships my junior and senior year, and I was named team captain and All-American my senior year. So, Cindy, what I'm really curious about is, okay, you're, you're there. You're not even supposed to be there. They don't want you. You're not good enough. 
how did you, what was, what was the first practice like? How did you get on the team? Cause I, obviously you improved uh, your, I mean, obviously that's pretty obvious, but like, how did the first year go? You know, it's funny. A month before I went to the school, I played in the New York state amateur at Corning country club. And there was a girl there from St. Lawrence, New York named Mary Lawrence, ironically. Hmm. And she was the same age as me. And she said she was going to the University of Miami. She was recruited player to go there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome because I'm going to go there too. And so I, I found where she was going to live. We had communicated via the phone and I called her and I said, okay, I'm here. What do we do? And it, it's funny because she's now the head coach at St. Lawrence University hmm. and we've been friends for, I don't know, 40 years. And so I went and practiced with the team. I didn't have a car, uh, had to get rides to the golf course, to the driving range. And Norm Parsons, who was our coach, which is so funny because we had a reunion, a 40-year reunion from winning back-to-back national championships last year. We went to, what's it, Joe Robbie Stadium? What, yeah, in Miami, whatever, the big stadium, you know. And we were on the football field during a University of Miami football game. And, I, and I'm going to get emotional now. And I, and I said to him, because you allowed me to walk on your golf team, changed my life. You gave me a chance. And I took the chance because it was funny. I think I was running away from my parents because I was so afraid my dad was going to kill my mother because the domestic violence was not good. I mean, I wow. had called the cops on him. And, and so I didn't know whether I was running to something or running away from something. And there was, it burned the bridges. You're not going back. My dad said, you got one year to earn a scholarship. If you don't get a scholarship, you can't go home. You have to come home. I mean, you can't stay there. So I did everything. It was like, there was no way I wasn't going to do this. So I think in today's society, I don't think kids have the give a rip, you know, the give a rip meter. I don't think it's life and death. I don't think they care. You know, and you might say, well, why are you doing this stupid thing with this box? And you know why I'm doing this? Because I don't want to die. And I don't want God to say to me, you chicken, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Right. You have you have a message that can inspire so many people. I'm really curious. I want to go back to your growing up. How did your upbringing in kind of a it sounds like a kind of a toxic upbringing, like how has that affected you now? And like. Can you look back on that and say, like, I am the person I am. I like, I, I am an amazing golfer because of that. Like, explain to me how that, because it's, I struggle with that mindset because it's like, okay, that's, it's a sucky situation. And yet you're, you're going to inspire so many people because of that situation. Well, and again, you know, and I happen to be a Christian. I believe that God uses everything for good. So I think I know how to deal with people because I had to make sure my dad liked me and I was able to distract him. And, and I learned, I, I would, you know, do the skins game at the country club with all the members. So, you know, here comes a jerk. Well, you got to make him like you, you know, even though you want to kill him and you can't stand the guy, you know, you have to adapt your behavior and your communication with people that you can't stand and you don't like. And, and people do business with people they like. So can you make them like you? And once you understand that people aren't trying to be jerks, they just are the way that they are. Um, it totally helped me. And I don't know why I'm so driven. I am a sick puppy. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that was my next question. I, I'm, we're very similar in that aspect of like, we're very driven. We're, we work really hard. And, and it's interesting because I had a, like a complete opposite upbringing than you, but still I'm driven. And some of that is because of my upbringing. Just some of that's just because of the things that surrounded me. And what's interesting is I was given a chance that at a young age, at 19 years old, that I wouldn't be talking to you if I wasn't given that opportunity. Um, so your freshman year, you worked your butt off what kind of things like, what, like, what were the techniques? Like how often were you playing golf? You still had to get enough good grades to stay in school. Were you like stressed out or were you just in like this alpha mindset of like, just boom. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I graduated cum laude. Oh my goodness. Know? So, and, and, but I did not student teach. I was going to be major in business and I had a roommate from New Jersey. That's stupid. Why would you want to major in business? Why don't you major in phys ed? You're a golfer. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. That's a good idea. So I majored in phys ed and I never student taught because I'm like, I can't student teach and go play in tournaments and I'm going to play on the LPGA tour. So, right. you know, do you, you're not going to take me away from why I'm here. I am here to play golf. I am right. not here. I don't really care if I, what I made. I just have emotions. So again, it's just weird. Right. Right. So, okay. So what happened after college? So while I was in school, I met my husband. I, a mutual, it's funny because at that age you could drink when you were 18. So we would have skins games every Friday and, um, we would go to the rat scholar and drink. And there was a guy at the rat scholar who had hundred dollar bills and being from Buffalo, we used to have shots, right? You know, you drink shots, crazy yep. people. I'm lucky I'm alive anyway. Um, <laughs> so I made friends with the guy with the hundred dollar bills and his nickname was dirt bag and he was a professional gambler. <laughs> I'm not oh, right. That's hilarious. And he said he was one of Pat Bradley's sponsors on the LPGA tour. I'm like, oh my God, you're so full of baloney, right? He goes, no, no, I really am. I go, you're 24 years old. How are you a sponsor, right? And he goes, well, my buddy Alan Miller is coming to play in the Dural Eastern Open. He plays on the PGA tour. And I said, oh, he goes, well, I'll get you free tickets to come watch him play at Dural. I said, okay. So I went to watch Alan and him play, you know, and Alan was really nice. And Alan, my husband is a, is a little nerd. He's quiet. He's shy. He's a, he's a golf swing technician. He's the second purest ball striker Dave Powell's ever tested. Alan and I happen to be the only married couple in the world that have played on all four major tours, the LPGA tour, the PGA tour, the champions tour and the legends tour. Right. Oh, wow. And so um, we were golf buddies <laughs> And I graduated from school and I qualified for the LPGA tour a year after I got out of school. And I played on the tour for three years of the best in the world. I was one of the worst. I wasn't good enough. Hmm. You know, so again, it's a, it's a reoccurring theme. Right. And I think it almost, I think it's a blessing Yeah. because it motivates me. I mean, you asked me if I had a book. I go, yeah, I, I wrote a book, Golf 101 for Executives, to teach people how to play golf. But the other book that I paid someone to help me write, everyone said, mm, it's a great story, but it's not, it's not really a self-help book. It's a memoir, and you're not famous enough. So don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> That's the reoccurring thing. Don't, don't poke the bear, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Alan and I got married, and Alan was an alcoholic, mm. of course. So Alan would drink for liquid courage because he didn't really want to go to pro-am parties and talk to people. Oh, so he introverted. Totally. And and now, Cindy, I just have to ask this question. Do you think you were attracted to that because oh, of your father up, oh, yeah. upbringing? I mean, we would go drinking. I was drinking then, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I thought, well, if I can't play on the tour and be a star, I'm going to make him a star because hmm. somebody's got to be a star. 
and he didn't want to be a star. He didn't right. want to talk to people. He's an introvert. He's quiet. He's shy. He just wants to practice over in the, on the side by himself. Um, so he quit playing. He said, I don't want to play anymore. I want to teach golf. I go, teach golf? How are we going to teach golf? I don't want to teach golf. I don't even like golf, right? I'm mad at golf. And, right. and so he taught me how to teach. And so we went from having dinner at Bob Hope's house to teaching golf at a public driving range of Buffalo, New York. And it's funny that you say that because yesterday I was giving clinics and I did a, a couple corporate things this week. And I said, just pretend it's 37 years ago. You and your husband played on the LPGA and the PGA tour. And you quit playing and you say, hey, I got an idea. Let's move from Florida to Buffalo, New York. Let's start every year at zero. And let's give golf lessons to public people at a driving range in Buffalo, New York. And let's have three kids and support them for 37 years. Would you do that? No way. And that's what we've done. It's incredible. And and, you, and your husband went through some pretty rocky times with alcohol, suicide, all that and left. And I filed for divorce and I didn't even, you know, we went to divorce court and there was a, a woman judge and he had a woman lawyer and they were like, well, can he live with you? Do you care? You, you know, will you take care? I'm like, I'm dying here. I'm giving golf lessons. I'm, I'm making shirts. I started a shirt business. I'm sewing shirts for the masters. I'm spinning plates like the queen. And I'm like, I can't do all this. And he went away to teach some golf camps for Nike and when he came back, we sat and talked and I said, you know what? You're my golf buddy. I love you. Yeah. Even though we had been to divorce court, the papers were never filed in the courthouse. So we called our lawyers and said, hey, can we like cancel this? And they said, what are you kidding? Nobody's ever done that. And we said, well, we, we decided we don't want to get divorced. So they called the judge and the judge said, fine, don't file the papers in the courthouse. Wow. And that was 1998. Alan hasn't had a drink since 1996. Wow. You know, I'm so grateful because we have three beautiful children and three beautiful grandchildren and, and everything's okay. So now with kind of that backstory, I want to ask you some questions. The first question is kind of around golf. Golf is like... I, I golf, sort of. <laughs> I won't golf with you. It would be a, a, an embarrassment. Uh, but it would be fun. It would be fun. Uh, and, but it's a, very much of a mental game. So what, what lessons have you learned in, through golf that you can apply to business and leadership and just you know, everyday life? Without a doubt, focus. Strategic decision-making. Problem-solving. Tough-mindedness. Emotional control. Self-sufficiency, hmm. responsibility, accountability. I, I, hmm. The game of golf mirrors life, without a doubt, without a doubt. People say they're learning to play golf. It's not really just a game. It's a way, you know, it's way more than that. What do you think, it, what's the difference between golf and any other sport, like, you know, baseball or football? Like well, you play by yourself. It's you, your clubs, and the course. Right. And it's funny because I, I, I do a podcast called The Women of Golf, and um each week we have the winner from the week previous week's Symmetra Tour event, which is a minor league tour of the LPGA. And some of these young girls are really, really, really smart in intelligence. And they've done a lot of uh, work on themselves. Right. And they understand that they're not competing against other people. They're competing against themselves in the course. It's like very much of a mindset game. Don't, yeah. Don't compare. Oh, absolutely. Don't compare. Just go do the best thing that you can do. 
you're not trying to beat other people. You're trying right. to win against right. yourself. Yeah, I love it so much. I uh, golf, golf, and money actually have a lot of a lot of similar things as well because it's like okay, you can control what you can control, but you don't. I mean, it could rain, it could be windy. That's that's a representation of like maybe taxes going up, the market dropping, and you got to play your game. You got to focus on the things that you can control. You got to have the end in mind. The you know, and so yeah, I, I use golf as an example even when I'm working with people and, and we use a, the club versus swing, like what's more important. I, I, I'm going to ask a professional golfer this. If you could get the very best club of any player or have the very best swing <laughs> of any player, what, what would you choose? The swing. Why? Because you're the one that's controlling the club. Yeah. So I, one of the things I say to people is I'm not touching the club. Guess who's holding the club? And the ball is the evidence of what you've done with the club. So you can stand there and get mad at where the ball just went, but you have to stop and reflect what did I just do to make that happen? Right. And it's that's the accountability and responsibility part of it. Right. I love so it. again, in business, you know, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? How am I going to get there? And, and you know what else I got to tell you is finding the right coach. And you need to interview the coach. You know, you need to know that they care need to learn to trust them. And you need to know that they can help you get where you want to go, which is how we met is through Pete Vargas, which we totally agree that he's the best coach to help us get where we want to go. Right. 100%. Okay. Now talk to me about the it box. You know, I don't know how I found this. Um, Definitely from up above. So I had this thing. It's like, I can't stand whiny people. (laughs) You know, every once in a while, it's okay to have a pity party. And you need to go rest if you're overworked, you know, and underpaid. But um, there's three things in the box if you choose to pursue your it. Or every time you're having trouble, I mean, people came in, come in for golf lessons and, and, oh, I keep slicing. And I said, well, how bad does it have to hurt before you're willing to change? Stop whining. So there's three things in the box if you choose to pursue or find your it. The first thing in the box is a nail and the nail signifies pain. If you were sitting on a nail, it was poking you. Would you stay there and allow it to hurt or would you get up? Stop whining. Right. So, and and you know what's funny? I would blame Alan for all the issues we had. Hmm. And I saw that there was a Legends Tour for former LPGA Tour players. And I was sitting in our sweatshop in downtown Silver Creek one day. And I was reading the Monday morning paper and looking at the scores. And I saw there was a Legends Tour for former LPGA Tour players. And Nancy Lopez played. And I looked and saw that she shot 85 one round. And I thought, well, I could shoot 85. And she made $3,000. I'm like, huh, I'd love to shoot 85 and get paid three grand, right? <laughs> and it was that point that I decided I needed a mulligan. To prove to myself the dream that I had when I was 17 years old wasn't just a nightmare. And it was then that I said, you know what? I This stinks. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm working too hard. I really have to do something for myself. So I decided to get off the nail. And the second thing in the box is a mirror. So the it mirror. Um, you got to be willing to look in the mirror. Who am I? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Mm. What's my behavior style? What do I do? You know, I happen to be a high D behavior style. That's really direct, bossy, kind of controlling, um, which is good if you want to be a winner. But on the other hand, sometimes you have to learn to adapt your behavior and zip it, which is difficult. So, you know, what do I do on the golf course that might not be the smartest play? I tend to go for things. I take risks. I might make stupid decisions, right? So second thing in the box, if you choose to pursue your it is you have to look in the mirror. And the third thing in the box is a little tiny baby seed that you can barely see. And what's the seed? Well, 
once you know why you're here and what you want mm. and who you are, you have to do something about it. You have to plant a seed and start working on it. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, I want to be the best financial advisor in the world, or I want to own my own business, or I want to be a really good attorney, or whatever it is you want to do. The box is universal. It isn't golf. Right, right. So the it, so you came up with the word it because that represents your it. Your potential, your passion, and your purpose in life. And, and I do this program with companies. You know, I teach people, individuals, entrepreneurs, and corporations how to pursue their it to unlock per- potential and improve performance, hmm. which, and the other thing is I started a nonprofit to help kids. So many kids don't know what their strengths are, what they're good at. Right. They think they're trapped like a rat with no cheese. And if you live hmm. in a free country, you have the freedom to make choices that can change your life. Right. And I think sometimes you just have to put out a hand and say, I want to help you. There's hope here. Come, let me help. Sydney, do you have like a defined why like that drives you that is on the wall or, or just keeps you inspired? Do I have a defined why? I think it's, I don't, I don't have a defined why, but I know it's the burn of it's never too late to get, do and be better. Why does that even matter? Like, why does the listener need to be better and go after it? I think it's, I think it's so obvious. Sometimes it's hard to articulate, but I've realized that there's power in like, uh, like uncovering the obvious. Why do you want your wife life to be waste? I don't want my life to be a waste. Right. You know, it's funny because I said to my son, right. I have three beautiful children. The middle one is the golfer and he's, you know, a financial advisor, funny enough. And, and he said, mom, the house is paid for. You don't really need to make that much money. Mm. This is your legacy. So yep. I don't want to die and have God say to me, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? This is why you were born. I've used your whole life story right. to sum it up in a stupid little box. And your job is to go tell the rest of the world that they can have, do, and be better and give them hope yep. that their life can matter, that they can be happy, that they can be satisfied. One of my favorite quotes is, is the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away, how much of it <laughs> was given away. And, and think about this at, at your funeral, no one's going to care about your successes, your books, your, even like your, how good of a golfer you were, they're going to remember the impact that you had on their life. And, and Cindy, it's, that's incredible. And I'm super grateful for you sharing that story and like, and just giving those nuggets of inf- inspiration. Um, this, this podcast is called Better Wealth. And one of the things that I'm fascinated by is, is okay, you being your greatest asset, the, the mindset, and a lot of people listening here, I'll just go back, they are their biggest enemy and their biggest asset. It's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like an interesting situation. When you're sitting down with someone and, and they're just struggling with believing in themselves, because I, I guarantee you, there's got to been self-doubt that you've experienced in, in your life. Oh, absolutely. How do you, how do you get over that? And like, what, what, if you were sitting across from them at a coffee shop, what, what, how would you encourage them? Like, what things would you tell them? What questions would you ask? If, if someone like had a mission that they had, they want, they saw what, the, what could, what could be, but they were self, they, they were doubting them, their ability to actually do it. What I would say, it, it, so I have a program that you can learn to pursue your it. So I, just a side note, if anybody wants to take an assessment for free, go to cindymillerinc.com forward slash nail it and you can sign take a free assessment. Okay. I love it. Um, Thank you. But what I, number one, you have to know yourself and what your tendencies are. And number two, 
you have to be willing to expose elephants. So when I share my story, one of the slides I have, I, I went to get certified in behavior, motivation, judgment, and emotional intelligence. And the place that I went in Phoenix, Arizona, I said, you have to have a golf assessment. You know, they go, oh, we tried that. It didn't work. Nobody cared. And I'm like, yeah, well, you didn't have me selling it. And and so they were like, oh, no, we don't want it. And so the owner of the company came out and he goes, hey, we're doing research on the brain. Do you want to do, you want to be part of it? I go, yeah, I'll be a lab rat. So you have to want to win so much that you're not afraid to expose the elephants because there's an elephant in the room. Sometimes I get a little too close to those who are like, oh, whoa, 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 let's not go there. And I'm like, well, if you want to really win, you have to be willing to do that. So I did this research on the brain and he asked me, he says, okay, after lunch, you're going to come in. I need some words that you know your brain would react to, your subconscious mind. I thought, I've got those words. Now, why would I have those words? Because I was willing to look in the mirror. Am I afraid to win? Am I afraid to lose? What is Cindy's real bottom line issue, right? So I went in, they put electrodes all over my head, and they flashed these words on the screen really fast, really fast. What I had no idea is they were measuring my brain, right, at each word. And the next day he came out with a picture of my brain Hmm. with the words, deserve to win. And he said, you don't believe you deserve to win. That's what your subconscious thinks. And until we change that, you won't. So what is it? And what changed? What what changed from knowing that? So gave to me some exercises: left brain, right brain. Have you ever done brain gyms? You got to turn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I had to do that for six weeks. I went back. I got retested. It, it's being aware of the roadblocks, and if you're not willing to look right. in the mirror and find the roadblocks, don't even bother. Don't sugarcoat. Right. Oh, one hundred percent. So if you're listening to this, be, it, incredible self-awareness is so key, 100%. Like if you, there's elephants in the room and you have to, so so you had to just, you weren't even aware that your subconscious was saying like, you don't deserve it. No, I was sabotaging myself and I didn't even know, hmm. didn't have any idea. And, when, and, and I got to tell you, the other thing I did was I went to this woman who was a hypnotist and she said, you're trying to please your father. You're trying to show him that you can win. She goes... And, and he died my junior year of college. I was trying to compete to be in the top five to go to Hawaii for the NCAA championships. I was always fighting between the fifth and sixth spot. And my dad wanted me to qualify so bad. And I got home from school and he was laying in a coma in the hospital. And I walked up and I said to him, Daddy, I'm going to Hawaii. I qualified to play on the team. He squeezed my hand and died that night. No way. And, and so... We won the NCAA championships that year. And and I used to, I must admit, I used to pray that he would die because I thought he was going to kill my mother. But he believed in me. He knew I was a winner. He knew I could do it. So maybe that's my burn. I don't know. Hmm. But she said to me, talk to your father. Tell him, you know what, daddy? Look what I've done. Wow. Look what I've done. Are you proud of me? Cindy, do you have any regrets? Like as you look back on your your life, just like. Probably that I didn't believe in myself more. Hmm. But see, some things happen, and I just feel like my MO, yeah. like the book, no, did you write the book? No, they didn't believe I was good enough. You know, that's my whole thing. Well, you're not quite good enough. And so maybe that's, it, God said, I'm going to make this girl who's really tough, and she's only motivated when people tell her she can't do things. <laughs> that's going to prove them wrong. And I guess that's, you know, I don't want to have a pity party. Right. Because I, 
I don't even think about how strong I am right. or what a bulldozer I am. Because again, if you're like, oh, you're so good and you're so nice, I'd be like, oh, what? Shut up. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I wouldn't be a good friend for you then. Because I'm, I'm like, if you ever want to call and just be like, Caleb, like, just tell me I'm not good enough. I'll, I'll get, kick in the gear and uh, be a good cheerleader for you. remember at Reach Live after the speak off, I was in, the next morning, we were sitting there and, and Pat Quinn and, and Pete were on the stage. And I got up and I said something and I said, you know, thank you so much. And I've, you know, I've invested all this money and I've gotten it back and thank you so much. And, and Pat Quinn looks and he goes, but you're not good enough. <sighs> and I just looked at him and he looks at Pat, Pete and he goes, I know how to motivate her. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Find find what motivates you. So, Cindy, one of the questions that I love ending kind of these conversations with, by the way, thank you for just having such a great casual conversation with me. I really appreciate you. Um, Thanks for having me. Okay, let's say it's your last day on, on Earth. You can't take anything else with you. And you're with the people that you love the most. Now you've learned a ton. There's a lot of life experiences. What what would what would the conversation be like? What would you try to tell the people that you love the most, like like on what you learned? Like what what would you want to instill in that in that day, knowing that that was going to be your last? You're killing me. I would tell them that I love them beyond measure, and no matter what happens to them, uh, God loves them. I love them, and they were born for a reason, and that things won't always be easy. Uh, but to never, ever, ever give up. Cindy, thank you for never giving up on your dreams and inspiring so many people. Um, man, I, I've got to go back to the drawing board and get clear on my it, make sure that I'm self-aware of the elephants in the room. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see the many people that are going to be do, inspiring other people because maybe hearing a talk, seeing this interview, watching like someone see, reading a book. I, it just amazes me the mission that you're on. And so thank you. Um, and I'm grateful that we got to hear and, and talk about, and about your, your story. Thanks, Caleb. This was great. Love you, honey. <laughs> Love you too. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Cindy Miller. She's an incredible person, has an incredible story, and I'm just grateful that she shared it with us. I would love to hear your it. I would love to hear if there's any big takeaways that you had. And uh, I also kind of laugh as I I listen to this one over again and just how uh, intense she was. I, I, I was thinking, man, I, I wonder what it would be like to have her as a mother. <laughs> so, Cindy, if you're listening to this, you'll have to let me know uh, how you parented because uh, that could maybe be a part two. Uh, but anyways, I hope you guys have an amazing uh, rest of your week and uh, go out and make someone's day really special. If you haven't subscribed or left a review, that would truly mean the world to me. So go out and do that and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.